Welcome to Caring for Caregivers, your life support podcast, where we explore what it really means to focus on your own mental health and well-being, along with the well-being of your workplace in the face of COVID-19 and other life challenges. I'm your host, Phil Rayner, and I've been working in the behavioral health care field as a social worker, serving in clinical, supervisory, and management roles for almost 40 years. I'm happy to welcome Laura Pasker to our podcast today. Laura has over 18 years of experience as a behavioral health care professional, providing both therapeutic services as well as in the development and operations of programs within the public and private sectors of behavioral health care and substance abuse. She's been in leadership roles within systems of care, working with justice-involved individuals, the unhoused and food insecure, those involved with child and family welfare and advocacy systems, crisis intervention and critical care services, inpatient, outpatient, and community-based services, as well as in private practice spaces, inclusive of building her own private practice. Laura takes a holistic approach to therapy and has a strong focus on client-centered care using strength-based approaches while partnering with individuals on their journeys to self-discovery. Laura is a graduate of Damien University in New York and received her master's from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Laura is a licensed therapist in both Florida and Illinois with, with specialized training in addiction, mindfulness, DBT, motivational interviewing, emotional coaching, grief and trauma-based approaches such as EMDR. Laura is the owner of Clarity Counseling Solutions located in Palm Harbor, Florida, but also offers virtual therapy. Laura, I'm so glad you could join us today. Thank you, Phil. I'm grateful to have this time with you today. So Laura, can you tell, tell us a little bit about what challenges you had observed regarding wellness in the workplace prior to the pandemic starting? One challenge I think I've often observed even before and during the pandemic, and maybe it amplified some, was sort of this basic idea uh, of being present. Mm. And having observed staff, patients, supervisors, managers missing some of those basic nonverbal cues from those they're engaging with has caused currently or even previously stress overall within the system as well as maybe with patients and confusion. So it's kind of been a continuum both pre-pandemic and even during the pandemic. When you say they're not present, um, can you describe that a a little bit more? Absolutely. I often think of it kind of as the idea of holding space or being mindful as being in the present. You know, that definition of mindfulness, being in the present moment without judgment can be so challenging for all of us, even if we are in the present. So I often think of it as that idea of holding space. And and by holding space, I mean that idea of being physically, mentally, emotionally present for someone in that moment. And if I can't be physically, emotionally, and mentally present in that moment, maybe the conversation needs to pause, or maybe I don't have the answers as a leader that that person needs because I'm dealing with another crisis. So if I acknowledge that person in the moment that your question is important, I'm here to support you, I have to deal with this right now, let me circle back so I can give you the time and space that you need. So often like that concept of of holding space because I feel like it's so important as a leader. What makes it so important as a leader or supervisor in that that supervisor-supervisee relationship? 
Yeah, I, I think it's that idea of putting someone and their feelings in the moment. And if I'm not able to be present for those feelings, or I'm not able to sort of have up my invisible barrier to not take on that emotionally too, then maybe I'm not in that place to be present. So it's when we're in that place to hold space for somebody else, whether it's in a clinical space when you're doing trauma work or grief work, or it's something as supervision with one staff member, a group of staff members, you know, I often find it's really important to, to put on that holding space hat, so to speak, mm -hmm. when you're managing a team and you're free from judgment and you're able to deal with any emotions that may arise from what's going on with them in the moment. Right. And how did you see that affected um, as, as we came into the pandemic and as we've continued along through this very long tail of it as, as we're experiencing? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely been waves having supervised staff in many different levels from direct care technicians to clinicians to even the medical director at times. Um, it was a different wave of emotion for everybody and where they were. Some people believing that we were doing enough to keep people safe. Some people believing we weren't. And also being able to be there and be present for folks who maybe had to make some tough decisions as far mm -hmm. as having family at home and loving their career, but not being able to maybe be in a direct care role and even helping somebody work through maybe having to relocate back home, which they ended up having to do. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And, and I've spoken to many people who were trying to be in that care you know, caregiver and support role while experiencing losses of their own. Absolutely. And then having to help somebody through that, maybe in the treatment space or in group. And it was definitely probably without, the, through the past couple of years, I should say, having to hold space even more so than ever, I think, for staff, having had both positive and negative, you know, supervision experiences throughout my career, I feel like you can always take something good out of the challenging situation. So like I would always educate staff to, you know, take what they feel I've done well, but also take the things they don't like and grow from that too. And what would you do different if you were in that situation? So I feel like the last few years as leaders, we've had to hold space even more so, which in turn means we have to feel more grounded and anchored ourselves because as leaders, we're not able to hold space for staff or patients as they need if we're not grounded too. So self-care became even more of a priority and focus, not only for myself, but helping other clinicians and folks I've supervised to the, see the importance of it, seeing as everybody was activated at some point in the last couple of years. Absolutely. What are some of the ways in which you've seen your organization or other organizations change their approach or respond to the needs of employees during the pandemic to support their wellness? I think everybody's taken a different approach for sure to that, Phil, some more so than others. And it's, I think more virtual things have become available just as we're able to, to do this today and meet. And the ability to maybe have some of those supports for staff virtually if they weren't able to be in person, more ideas of giving staff that time to recharge and have those sort of self-care days and be more mindful of that and incorporating those things. And 
I think too, some basic things like showing how we're, we're appreciated and letting them know what, what we're doing well and having that conversation more often, because again, when we're all activated and in an anxiety or heightened state, that's also important to know what we are doing well, not what our challenges are in that moment. But I think a lot of this goes down to just some basic core concepts of being present, holding space and trying to lead people and help them understand too, that it's okay if you're struggling, we all have these moments, but we're here to partner with you, not do it for you, but partner with you in that concept to, to be supportive. So I know many times leaders and, and supervisors are have a certain expectation of meeting performance standards, you know, metrics, you know, am, am mm-hmm. I producing a certain number of units of service or, you know, just, just hitting certain outcome measures. Um, how do I balance that um, imperative to create space as you were describing to really be present? And at the same time, um, I have this concern about hitting the metrics. Absolutely, because obviously data can drive <laughs> funding mm-hmm. and services. Right. So it, it's an important aspect that maybe not everybody on every level um, of the organization may truly understand. So how do you help somebody understand that? And um, again, I kind of tend to lean back more towards foundational aspects and things that can kind of ground me that I can kind of help staff ground too. So um I've often leaned into like when facing challenging times, looking back at the concept of trust, right? And one of my favorite authors and speakers, Brene Brown, talks about this and Dare to Lead and her Anatomy of Trust video and identifying those components of that braving acronym, what is trust? And I think that's like the foundation of where this starts looking at like metrics and stuff. So, you know, if I've not only had those small moments to understand what maybe that staff member's boundaries are. Maybe they don't feel comfortable going into certain, you know, maybe they don't feel comfortable driving in the evening or they have kids who they have to pick up from daycare on Thursdays and Fridays. You know, I know their boundaries. I know they're reliable. I know they're accountable and they're going to show up. I also, they also know that some of those things that they've shared on a personal level, which often creep over into the workspace at times with appropriate disclosure, of course, um, it's important for them to know that I'm gonna help them meet those metrics, but also know that work isn't 100% of their life, that mm-hmm. the other mm-hmm. half of their life is their family and is their space outside of work and how that helps to support them. So, you know, I often lean back to that acronym and like to often teach people what those components of trust are, because if I don't have those components of trust myself, how is somebody else who I'm trying to lead and support going to trust me as well, because they're not going to, they're going to see that lack of confidence Mm -hmm. and self-esteem within me. So I often lean into that idea of trust and and building that rapport with staff in those small moments and helping to support them. And and again, what I found as far as remembering those small things and, you know, it's their kiddo's fifth birthday and, you know, 
it was really mm-hmm. cool that, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever character came to support them at their kid's birthday party that I circle back and have that conversation with them because it, in an odd way, I feel like that's what helps drive those metrics. And mm-hmm. they may not always understand or agree with why we have to do an extra assessment or why the deadline's changing. And I can help explain that, but I feel like people are more willing to partner if not only do they trust me, but I trust them as well, if that makes right. sense. Right, right. Yeah, it's based in a report that you developed where they, as you said, they trust you and, and you can trust them based on past experience. Absolutely. Laura, I think it makes such a great point about the importance of trust in a relationship between uh, leadership, supervisors, and the, the workforce throughout an organization. How can, how can leaders and supervisors foster that level of trust? Again, that concept of holding space and being present. Mm -hmm. And so often we've all had moments, whether personally or professionally, where we see somebody, whether it's a parent or somebody we look up to, or even a boss that we can tell they're somewhere else. And again, think of the level of value and worth we're now negating by not being present. So again, we're all human. We all experience those moments where we're not able to be present and that's okay. And even that basic concept of just identifying, listen, I'm not able to be here hundred percent right now. And I want to show up for you. What does your schedule mm-hmm. look like the second half of the day? So I can focus on this and then we can really dig through this issue and see what's happening with your charting or why things mm-hmm. aren't showing up on this report. It's looking like you've done no case notes for a month. Like I know and believe you've been working on your case notes. You know, I feel like that's often one that we've all stressed about at some point in time and, you know, concurrent documentation and having it done within a certain amount of time. Um, right. So being able to really be present for them. And, and I think folks really respect that. And again, it, it fosters that idea that, okay, it's okay. I'm coming to this person for support, but if they're able to not be here 100%, I trust them enough to know that they're going to show up when they are 100% and I am going to get that undivided attention. So I think it's so important because we never want to devalue somebody else. And I think some of these subtle cues and just this general idea of being present, holding space and being mindful can really make or break Mm-hmm. any relationship, whether it's a therapeutic re- relationship or it's a, a supervisory or leadership relationship. And again, it's okay to not have all the answers. I, I think there's mm-hmm. a level of confidence with that too, to say, that's a great question. I never thought about it from that perspective. Let me look into it and get back to you to sort of see why. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, I feel like it can it can be used to help build support, but it can also be used to help address performance issues if there's mm, stressors mm-hmm. there too that you know I can understand maybe some of the external factors going on but here's the expectation of the organization how do we make those match up where is there some free time so then you know using some of those basic supervision techniques to to help them come up with a solution i'm not here to to solve the problem so to speak yet i'm facilitating it but I do truly believe, again, as in therapy, that the answers are within all of us. And with the right support, with being present, with being able to hold that physical, emotional, mental space with somebody, we can help support that. And we can help them come up with the conclusion and put those things in place if it is something like a performance 
issue. Two of the biggest challenges that I hear from, from leaders right now are around hiring and onboarding new employees and uh, retaining the, the teams that they have. Do you, do you see these issues of holding space and presence playing a role in, in those challenges? Absolutely. And I can say that before I maybe had the language behind what I was doing and how I was engaging with staff or even clients, I think these are tools and techniques that I had leaned into because maybe there were times where I hadn't felt like somebody was present for me or they weren't hearing maybe the struggles that were happening with that with that organization. So um, I think one of the greatest compliments anybody could ever get is to, to get a call from somebody who maybe you supervised 10 years ago, four years ago, five years ago, who are living somewhere completely different, but needing five minutes to kind of problem solve or, or look through what their next, you know, career move is. And um, recently having a couple of those folks reach out to me um, several, <laughs> several mm-hmm. organizations later, it's always such an honor when they circle back. So I feel like from a retention aspect, you know, I've been lucky and blessed in many ways to have some of those individuals move over to other organizations with me because I think of that concept of stru- trust and holding space. And while we may not be in the same paths now, still always having that connection. So from a retention standpoint and, and onboarding people, work is important. It's a piece of that pie, but it's not a hundred percent of that piece of pie that makes up who we are. So, you know, with appropriate boundaries, it's important to get to know who we're working with and what's important to them. Uh, even on a foundational level, it doesn't have to cross a boundary of being too overpersonal, but it, it's so important. People remember those really, really small moments. And again, like I'll circle back for a minute because I think it's a great example that Brene talks about in, in those small moments and she references it, references it in that trust video and uh, Dare to Lead as well. But she talks about those small moments being those marble jar moments. And each time we're building trust and we're putting a marble in that jar, and that's how we establish trust, one marble at a time, this really small gesture. And we not only do this for others by holding space and being present with ourselves as well. So as leaders, it's important that we trust ourselves and fill our own marble jar because then we're able to do that for everybody else. So if I'm taking care of me, then I'm able to do that for other people. And and I think those are the small things that help with staff retention and being able to have people commit a significant period of their time each day to to be present. If if I'm not present with them, are they really going to want to be here too? Right. What what level of of real connection are they going to have with an organization if they don't feel connected with their supervisor or the leader of the organization? Exactly. Exactly. I really appreciate what you're saying also about practicing self-care yourself uh, in the in the role modeling sense. Our the workforce is, is always watching what leaders are doing. Whatever they're saying, they're watching what people are doing. And and so you know, when you talk about practicing yourself, your own self-care as a leader, that sends a message to the rest of the workforce. Absolutely. Absolutely. And trying to create that balance and, and structure as far as what is it that helps to support you. And that's going to be different at 
different time points. And, you know, again, sometimes as leaders, there's things that come up and there's audits that happen and, you know, Mm -hmm. things that may require longer hours or more time. But I think it's also staff being able to see that I may have put in those hours over here, but here's where I'm taking self-care on the front end or the back end of that. And I'm available, but I'm only available in one of these three scenarios. So if it's not one of these three, here's who you need to reach out to. Um, And I think, again, it's important to set those boundaries and have them see that as well, or know that Wednesdays I leave for yoga class or (laughs) Mm -hmm. or a walking or something, because, you know, it really is important to help show what some of those things are. And often I've brought some of those into, into, um, staffings or uh, clinical supervision, especially when I've worked with folks who are registered interns working on licensure and just the importance of taking that five minutes before we start or as we end a meeting to to practice some mindfulness or meditation skills or focus on gratitude. Mm-hmm. Gratitude is so important. Even in the most challenging of situations, there's always something to be grateful for. And that can really shift our mindset. May not be what I want to do, but here's what I need to do. And I can be grateful for that. I think that some of these these skills that we're discussing right now are, are not necessarily covered in depth in people's education, whether you know if they're coming into leadership in the field or coming through their their professional education. So if someone wanted to learn more about how to use concepts like mindfulness and presence and you know meditation, you know, some of the things that you've discussed. And to bring that into that leadership function and practice, how might they learn more about that? Absolutely. I feel like there's so many resources out there now, it's kind of hard to even pinpoint where where one would start. But even as I'm working in practice with patients, especially trying to help ground them and, and quiet some of those anxiety and stressors and trauma that they may be experiencing, A free resource, which I personally love is Insight Timer. And it's a great little app that there's so many different genres of meditation guided, just music and a timer and it counts your progress and it's all free. And when you log on to the app, it's actually kind of cool. It has a world map on it and it's pinging everywhere in the world with somebody else who's meditating at that moment. So whether it's three in the morning and you can't sleep because your kiddo woke woke up again, or, you know, your mind's racing, or you're about to have a exam or something, you know, somebody else around the world is meditating and probably doing that same meditation with you. So it's that whole concept of like not being alone and always feeling supported. So personally, I really like that app because Mm. it's free and whatever I need that day, whether it's guided or, you know, more mindful based, I can search it and I can find it even if it's a sleep meditation. So that's a great free resource to just kind of play around and see what do I like? Am I more into guided or progressive uh, muscle relaxation? Those sort of things. And that was called insight timer? Insight timer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then I think too, just some other, you know, Brene Brown's a great resource, you know, all of her, her podcasts, her, her books, there's such a wealth of knowledge there. And I love how she breaks things down and this concept of trust. So on her site, she has that anatomy of trust video under videos. And that's a great way to just sort of give yourself sort of that self check-in of what components of trust here 
do I do really well or which one for my self-trust is a bit of a challenge. And when I know that I can focus on that, especially as a leader, if one of my struggles is generosity in that braving acronym, maybe I do need to be a bit more mindful when I am sending an email or coaching a staff member and start with the compliments, start with what's going well. So I think it gives us a good framework as leaders to be able to, to break that down too. So anything of hers is good as gold in my book. Yeah. 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 You know, I just, I think Brene Brown has just done some wonderful work. I, I know her, her material in Dare to Lead has just been very, very valuable, very useful. Yeah. Are there any other, any other authors or resources that you have found to be beneficial? It's hard to even begin. I was just telling a colleague the other day that I feel like I need like a three to six months sabbatical just to read everything I want to read <laughs> or reread. But one author I do love too is Michael Singer and his his book is The Untethered Soul. And he has a second one that came out. And recently I've circled back to that and just sort of this idea of finding that truth within ourselves and, and how to be present. So I think a lot of his work from even like a spiritual aspect can really connect internally with ourselves and allow us to hold space and be present, especially if we're more connected with ourselves. So I really do enjoy his work as well. So as a leader who has been carrying that responsibility prior to the pandemic and now coming through the pandemic, is there anything that you've learned in this process that you would see taking forward when we hopefully come to the conclusion of all of this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it goes back to some of those basic foundational things. And, and for me, it's balance because balance has looked different when I was in grad school and working full time and doing my practicum and balancing schoolwork to being a supervisor for the first time or doing direct care and being out in the field and driving from home to home. So self-care is going to look different and that balance is going to look different based on where we're at in that time in our lives. So I always try to remember that just because maybe, maybe if I'm not connecting to self-care the way I did last year, then that's an opportunity for me to connect back with myself and see what is it that I need right now and adjust it. So if I can focus on those three or four things each day that help me to keep grounded and balanced, then I know I've done my job. I can, I can rest well, or if something isn't well, I can circle back to it the next day and make sure I can check it off that list. So I think it's just knowing what those few things are and understanding that it's going to be different at different times. You know, one month it may be yoga, another month it may be walking, another month it may be meeting a friend at the gym, if that's possible. So how am I moving my body? How am I feeding my body? How am I spiritually connecting? And how am I challenging my thoughts? How am I checking in with myself? How am I learning and continuing to grow? Because again, growth is the most important thing for all of us. And we're all trying to grow and evolve and connect with our authentic selves. So I think if we're constantly analyzing that when something does feel off, you got to figure out what those four things are for you or three things for you to, to help stay connected. Do you see anything organizations can or, or should be doing in terms of their structure to encourage wellness and well-being in the workplace? 
I've seen quite a few places over the last like year, year and a half doing this like summer flex schedule. And as a private practice clinician practitioner now, it's been interesting to see how a lot of my patients have used that time. And, and a lot of it's been like bigger corporations who've done that, which it's really been great to see how some of them have been able to spend more quality time with their kids or take some weekend trips and see family they wouldn't have been able to see. So I've often said like one of the best schedules I ever had was four tens <laughs> and mm -hmm. having those three days on the weekend and, you know, trying to even structure my days similar to that now, um, it, it really helps to do a lot of those self-care things. So I think if organizations are really open-minded to maybe some flex schedules like that, that things are going to look a little bit differently for each department, but being open to trying some of those things and having some flexible schedules like that, even if it's just for a season, because somebody may have issues with childcare for, you know, the next three months, or it's during the summer when they're going to be around their kids more and they don't have summer care. So I do think it's, it's, again, some of those simple things about just sort of hearing what it is that their employees do need and mm -hmm. how do they feel supported? You know, it goes back to those concepts of trust and, you know, so I, I love that idea of having sort of flexible schedules like that. And it may not fit for everybody, but it's been interesting this summer having heard at least six or seven folks I currently work with who've had that option and some who took it and some who didn't, but how they've really been able to use that time and it's helped help them to reach their goals and, and their therapeutic goals too, as far as what they were working on to create more balance. And, I, and I've heard repeatedly that flexibility in scheduling is one of the, you know, one of the factors that employees seem to be looking for the most, as well as, as options around hybrid work, whether, you know, so many days in the office, so many days working from home, that also seems to be a big draw. Absolutely, which would make sense because most people <laughs> have spent the last couple of years predominantly at home. So some of the challenges of going back into the office and anxiety and stress that it's created and the traffic and accounting for that to, to get to the office, you know, the real thing. So I think, again, if we can hold space for people, be present, hear what they have to say, nine times out of 10, as leaders, there's probably accommodations we can make. Are, are we being willing to be flexible and grow and adapt to the changing employee market and what is it that's needed now? Because it's not the same space we were in three, four years ago. It, it looks different. So how are we going to grow and adapt to it too? That's a great point. Any, any final thoughts on this idea of uh, wellness in the workplace and what organizations can do to help support that? I think it really is just some of these core foundational things that if we all took a few minutes today to just reflect on that framework of trust that Bernie talks about and how as leaders, we not only check in with ourselves, but check in with staff and how am I withholding space with others? And if I'm not present, what's that go-to response so that I can acknowledge that I'm hearing them, but also give myself the opportunity to be present at that time too. That's what allows us as leaders to help people get through difficult journeys and in turn 
they're internalizing that they're seeing you mentioned it too with that concept of self-care that you know staff is seeing if we're taking care of ourselves or not they're seeing if we're present or not so it's so important for us to do that as leaders in difficult times and even just the day-to-day now because we're also teaching staff how to do that and create that balance for themselves so you know as leaders we do hold a lot of weight and it's important that we're checking in with ourselves and, and we're knowing where our strengths and where our challenges are. And we can focus on those challenges to help not only ourselves continue to grow, but most importantly, staff to grow, because I think that's what it's all about. You know, we're essentially training the future leaders and it's important that they learn the positive and, and also identify those challenges too. Challenges don't have to be so negative. It, it's just how we approach it. And if we're holding space for somebody and we've established that trust, we can have those hard conversations and people can grow. And I think that's what we're all trying to do. It's just sometimes we need a different framework and, and place to be. And that foundation is being being present and being mindful and being able to hold space for others, including ourselves when, when needed. Laura, thank you so much for your thoughts today. I think these are really valuable insights for people at any level of an organization who are, who are trying to support the well-being of that organization and, and their supervisees, their colleagues, you know, we're, we're continuing to try to come through this experience as well as possible. And I think these are some very, very helpful ideas. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me, Phil. I appreciate it. Help is here. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or substance use concerns, contact 1-833-2-FIND-HELP. This podcast is produced by Advocates for Human Potential and supported wholly or in part through an emergency COVID-19 grant to the Illinois Department of Human Services Division of Substance Use Prevention and Recovery from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. The sentiments expressed in this podcast are not endorsed by any of these involved entities.